Intelligence Podcast. I am David Marver of Change the Padres, joined by Padres Jagoff. We're here and we are having multiple episodes this week because we have a special guest uh, who I would consider the foremost authority on Matt Kemp, former Padre Matt Kemp. Yes, he is a writer for ESPN.com, also the creator of the Zips Projection System, Dan Zimborski. Dan, welcome to the Intelligence Podcast. Hey guys, thanks for having me. How's it going? Yeah, it's going pretty well after that trade deadline. That was a good trade deadline. There's no question about that. Yeah, it was pretty fun today, although Norris didn't get moved. But I, I think uh, the Padres did fairly well, and the, their main competition traded away some future pieces. So I think we're all pretty excited here in, in Padres land. Yeah, obviously it would have been ideal if they had moved Derek Norris. But the Padres have done such a good job over the last month that to really get upset about that is just greedy. And you don't, you don't want to be too greedy because the baseball gods will smite you down later. Well, they already did. We've, all, we've also seen how bad it can be. Also. Yeah, you, yeah, that was – you see that fairly recently. <laughs> we also got smited a little bit today, but we'll touch on that a little bit later on. I was hoping maybe we can just walk through the main moves they've made this deadline and you can let us know analytically um, how that shakes out. But, uh, but actually first um, – you created the Zips projection system. It's been something that's been out there for a long time. ESPN has now picked it up, and you're, you're one of the main analysts there. One of the things I like about it is that it's, uh, it's scientifically based. Um, I actually work in predictive modeling, so I really appreciate it. I certainly have made a ton of money using your projections in fantasy baseball over the years, so I probably owe you a little bit. Oh, um, I, no one told me this. I mean, yeah. I got to start putting like some contractual terms on these projections. Like, uh, yeah. if you win, I get a slice, just a little. Keep my keep my beak wet. So, how have you not thought of that business idea? I I, I, I don't know. Uh, I just like writing about baseball. They pay me to write about baseball, and that that makes me happy. So, uh, so you know, what, as I said, you don't want to be too greedy. I, I like to think our listeners are a little bit more intelligent than uh, the average. Padres fan there are believe it or not there are Padres fans that don't like the Matt Kemp trade so I don't think you have to go too much in detail but why don't you give a little bit of background about how you create the Zips projection system and what exactly you're trying to do with it okay well Zips is a computer projection system so the the very basics of a projection system in baseball are fairly simple it's an estimate of where the player is and where they're likely to go. And that sounds pretty simple, but really all we're doing is trying to make a very educated estimate of, of what's to come, because the future is very foggy. We can only peer slightly into that fog. Uh, the, the error bars on any kind of prediction, whether it's made by a person or a computer, are huge. But we can kind of tone down some of that uncertainty by, by using the best information we have available. Uh, Zips has gotten more more complex over the years uh it's essentially a non-parametric modeling system where it generates player aging curves based on similar players in history uh but but the basic the basic nuts and bolts are where a player was where they are where they're going and that's really what it comes down to uh and it's always a constant job to keep updating that and implementing new data because there's always new information in baseball and because i mean the field never stops uh, so that that's the challenge I face every year, and hopefully Zips will keep working out. Yeah. So I'm not a I'm not a statistic. I'm not Marver. I don't have a I'm not I'm not good at statistics. Um, I'm familiar with Zips. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Zips predicts also playing time as part of it as well, like uh, like plate appearances for the upcoming year. Well, there's a few things. When when Zips is just predicting a player, I try to I stay completely out of it. It just uses uh, recent history. Uh, and information like, you know, a player's position, a player's age, uh, their injury history. 
uh, because there's a lot of com- I want a computer to do what a computer does well. A computer is a good estimator of how good a player is. A computer is not a good estimator of how a player will be used. Now, when I do team projections, then I necessarily have to get into that nitty-gritty where I have to kind of look in and, and make a decision. And I have a little model. Uh, I use uh, Monte Carlo simulations for seasonal uh, projections so that I get a whole bunch get you know lots of different scenarios for for playing time and injury and stuff like that uh so so it's kind of two parts in that way the the basic meat projections where you just see the player's line i stay out of predicting playing time because when it comes down to it uh when you see a projection for say a player in double a do you want to see what they could be doing in the majors this year or do you want to see zero at bats zero batting average zero slugging etc it doesn't doesn't give you information so I, I did my best to try to keep the projection system kind of geared towards what projection systems do best. Right. And so, I mean, you know, you get into the off season and, and I think a lot of casual fans start dipping into projections and most likely misinterpreting and abusing uh, <laughs> I, projections. I, I am familiar with this. I First, you get the people who don't understand how the playing time is done and they say, why are they projected to win 235 games and lose 340? Like, <laughs> no, no, that's not how it works. Right, like I'm looking here, and I, I, I can totally picture Padres fans, some Padres fans. Uh, that, like, they look at Will Myers. Will Myers is projected for 443 plate appearances. I could just picture a segment of the Padres fan base saying that you're biased because you think Will Myers isn't going to get 600 plate appearances and you're selling him short on the projections yeah i think I've, I've i've heard pretty much everything in that vein at this point uh the other thing that people don't get about projections is that they they project a those mean projections have a tighter spread than you're actually going to find because obviously not every player is going to play to their 50th percentile projection 10% are going to hit their 90th 20% are going to hit their 80th and and so on and so forth so there's always this this weird moment where someone says, you only have two players projected to hit 300, but 22 players hit 300 last year. I'm like, well, yes, Zips only projects two players to be more likely to hit 300 than not, but Zips projects like 18 players because a lot of those 299, 298, 297 guys, they're going to hit 300 because not everybody hits at their 50th percentile. Uh, so that those are the those are the kinds of questions that, I have to endlessly answer, but I, I'm I'm kind of used to it by now. And, well, I mean, and you, you obviously built in a bias against their favorite team in oh, the model. Absolutely. I would assume. Uh, I if 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 I get through an off season and not every team has had a supporter email me or tweet me and tell me how terrible I am, as long as that <laughs> keeps happening, I know it's that that something's going okay. As a Padre fan, I always think it's funny that there's a segment of the fan base that thinks the national media is endlessly biased against the Padres, as if anyone outside of San Diego County cares about the Padres. Like, Marver and I have both lived on the East Coast, and I can certainly vouch that literally no one cares about the Padres outside of San Diego. Uh, well, that the, the thing about the Padres is in a lot of their seasons, they've had a real tendency to just kind of be blandly mediocre when they're bad. They're never just tremendously horrible. I mean, yeah. they, they, but they're just 
just bland at times. Uh, well, I mean, our uniform choice, you know, fits that fits that brand perfectly. Hey, I, I I love the '80s mustard brown, so I have no. We all do, except for the, our ownership. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's wrong with that because everything has to be blue for now today. But it, it, I like having different colors. And since I was born in 1978, I grew up watching all the 80s uniforms. You know, the Astros and the and the bright yellow and blue Brewers with the uh, with the uh, tremendous mb logo glove um and you know all the powder blue and i i kind of miss all that so i'm a sucker for throwbacks so one of the great things about the projection system and sorry to change the subject here but i want to get to uh the things that happen at the deadline is that uh not only can you use it to say what a player is going to do but you can use it to judge deals because you know how players are likely to perform going forward um so i, I want to talk about two trades the padres made prior to the deadline not not right up against the deadline. They were pretty similar moves. Uh, the first one's trading James Shields to, to the Chicago White Sox. They got a low-level prospect back, and they agreed to absorb a large portion of the contract. Then they went ahead and did almost the same thing with Melvin Upton, sending him to Toronto for Hansel Rodriguez. I, on the podcast, now Padres Jagoff and I disagreed on this a little bit. I think the Padres might have overhedged on the amount of risk they took back here. Uh, what do you what do you think happened? What does your projections uh, system say on grading those two deals? Well, actually, uh, the uh, zip still sees Shields as kind of fairly paid, essentially just because the the market for pictures is absolutely terrible. You uh, you look at some of the pictures that are going to cost quite a bit this winter, and James Shields suddenly doesn't look so bad. But I'm a fan of the Padres throwing money into these transactions simply because. With, with baseball's new rules about international signings and, and pools and stuff, there are limited ways to turn money into prospects. Uh, so I'm an advocate of whenever possible, include as much money as you can in a trade like this so that you can get better prospects back than you otherwise would. Because it's literally the only way, uh, except you know bidding on, on players from Cuba or Japan, it's the only way to actually get prospects with money these days. Uh, so, so I'm a fan of that, and I am a fan of what they did. I think they have to cut bait, and even if it's a fair value, especially for Shields, uh, I think Upton still likely would have fallen short of his projected value. But even so, the utility to the Padres is limited because they're not going to win now. And there's really no scenario I can see where they're going to win now. So really, you're just wasting their value, and, and you should get something that might help you uh, in the future because uh, – People have this idea that rebuilding is just about getting the top 10 prospects in the league or something, but it isn't. You, you get the top guys, you get the guys that might work out, you get the long shots, you get the, just the, the crazy gambles, and you just put as much together as you can and see what happens. That's a lot of how the Astros did. They had Carlos Correa, of course, but they also had Dallas Keuchel, who was not really a highly regarded prospect, and they just threw him in there to see what would happen instead of signing like a Kyle Kendrick. Uh, so I, I am a fan of those moves for the Padres. One of the interesting things about the Shields move is the fact that he can opt out at the end of this year. Uh, now, because he was traded, he's not going to be tied to a compensation pick. Um, but what's interesting is at, when they traded him, they agreed to absorb a portion of his contract if he decides not to opt out. So the, the Padres will cover a large portion of his salary next year, which almost incentivizes the White Sox to have Shields not opt out because he's essentially going to be on a one-year, less than $10 million contract for him. And like you just said, the pitching market's crazy. Um, 
So I'm wondering, do you think the James Shields is going to opt out? I know he's had a horrible start in Chicago, but the pitching market is just so weak. Um, and this is something that would obviously very much help the Padres because they'd get back about $10 million. Yeah, it would obviously help them. But but I look at, even in this market, Shields' perceived value has gone down just quite a bit. I mean, he has his peripherals aren't great. People are going to see that ERA that's probably going to finish above four and a half for the season. And even in a weak pitching market, uh, he would have to opt out essentially, and he'd have to do better than, um, what, two years, $42 million with uh, a buyout for a few million and a $16 million option. I don't know if he could beat a guaranteed 244 in this market, uh, even in this market. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of on the fence there. Because, I mean, there are situations where I've thought it was insane for a player to either opt out or not take the qualifying offer. Uh, Mike Kadire, I, I, thought, I thought he was insane to, uh, to not take the qualifying offer from the Rockies a few years ago. I thought Ian Kennedy was insane not to take it <laughs> last year, and I was shocked when they didn't. Uh, so, so maybe I'm not as... as uh, What's the, I'm, not, I'm trying to think of the word I'm looking for, but maybe I'm not imaginative enough. Well, let me ask you this. Um, Marva and I have argued about this, especially when it came to Melvin Upton, and you, you touched on it that the, the perception, there's a perception of Shields. So regardless of, of his statistical performance you know, during, during parts of the season, there's always this perception. And I felt like with Melvin Upton that regardless, and Melvin Upton's having a good year yeah, this year. Yeah, a legitimately good he's, year. Probably, you know, definitely out, outperforming his contract for the for the year. And but but the thing with him is his PR is so terrible. Um, and you know, that's not something generally that that statistics can capture. But um, I, I think that that can bring value down for for players on the free agent market. There's all there's always going to be some GMs that, that don't live and die by the statistics, and and that kind of image PR whatever. I think has a, a real impact on their earning potential. Uh, it, and, and that's something Shields, Shields has to deal with that too. It, it, it does. As I said, uh, I do think it's less than it would be. The difference is less than it would be say 20 years ago. I think that perception and performance are closer now than they ever are or ever have been, but there are going to be instances uh, in which uh, there is a significant perception issue because Upton, I mean, even though, I mean, in reality, that's that's why the Padres had to absorb eighty percent of his contract because yeah. of the perception. Um, I mean, per- performance-wise, he's he's worth the contract. And, and he wasn't, and he wasn't even bad last year either. He was fine last year, right? Yeah, uh, and I think that's kindly forgotten about. But people remember him taking the contract, going to Atlanta, and putting up just two pretty terrible seasons in Atlanta. And it, it's kind of hard for that to shake, especially because say people will look at him and say, "Hey, you know what? He's on the wrong side of thirty now." He gets a lot of his value from being able to play center field. I don't really want to buy into this market, uh, and it's it's not as dreadful a market for outfielders as it is, as it is for pitching. Uh, so he doesn't necessarily get the boost there. Uh, but uh, I I do think that the perception of him has improved quite a bit this year. Uh, he's not actually the butt of the jokes anymore, uh, and no one's and now he's actually the better up than this year, which by far which, which, by which far. surprised me. I did not see this happening. Of course, the people are like, maybe it's an Upton thing. I'm like, yeah, they're 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 genetically de- predisposed, disp- yeah, genetically predisposed towards underperforming on free agent contracts. <laughs> they got that from their dad. That was that's actually coded in the DNA. 
So, um, on the same vein as uh, Shields potentially, uh, you know, opting out, Upton would be eligible for a qualifying offer next year had the Padres held on to him. I know it sounds crazy, um, but I, uh, my question isn't, do you think Upton would have opted in? My question is, when you have a player, and this leads into the Andrew Kashner trade, uh, that is eligible for a qualifying offer, and you think there's a very good chance they're going to decline it, how much should that should you let that affect uh, his trade value? Because for us, the entire trade deadline, we were saying, don't trade Kashner unless you get more than a qualifying offer back. And they got the 12th overall pick in last year's draft and Josh Naylor for him, and we can get we can touch on the uh, Colin Ray uh, debacle today in a little bit. But obviously there's the injury risk with hanging on to him. So how would you value, if, if you were a general manager, how would you value a player that you know has no value to you long-term, that you're trying to get rid of, but that you could get a comp pick back for at the end of the year? It really depends on the player. I'd be more inclined to value that chance of a draft pick with a younger player. Uh, I, I think when you look at Upton at, at, at 30, at I mean, at his age, at the end of the contract, 32 at the end, uh, I think because at that point, we're probably going to be looking at a one-year $19 million offer by next winter because uh, it'll probably be around $18 million this year, and it, it's been going up about a million dollars a year. Uh, I, it's, it's really hard to put a lot of value on that uh, because – there, there's some value in certainty, and I think that the certainty, how much value you put on that, depends on the team. Uh, and, of course, both where they are in the success cycle and where they are financially. I think a team that is in a position and a financial position to value that kind of certainty might value getting the chance to bring a guy back at one year, 19 million, or one year, 18, or whatever. Uh, I think a rebuilding team would have a much harder time making that decision. So for like the Kashner trade, for example, uh, should the Padres have been fine getting back 80% of a comp pick for him, you know, 50% based on injury risk? Like what, you know, where's the break even point in, in your opinion on, a, on something like that? Because this is something that obviously the Padres are going to be in the downturn of their rebuilding cycle for a couple of years here. This is going to be a recurring subject for us. So it'd be nice to have some sort of ballpark to look at. It's hard to put a percentage on it in that way. Uh, and with Kashner, I think I would have been more inclined to see a chance of that being a good idea. Uh, Kashner's really just, in some ways, a very frustrating player. It always feels like he should be better than he is. And that's always kind of a hard concept to explain. But but you, when you've seen him at his best and some of his stuff, you think he should be pitching better than this. And it's just never clicked. I mean, he's had some injury problems, obviously. But it's, it's he's really never clicked and taken to the next level. And he's going to be 30 soon. Uh, so it, it's it's one, it's one a real question whether he'll ever hit that level. Uh, I remember Dave, uh, Dave Malicki of the New York Mets was a pitcher like that a while back who also felt like he should have been better than he was. Uh, but I, I do think there's a, at least a chance that Kasher will be worth a qualifying offer just because of the value of pictures. If he's a league average picture next year, uh, he will get a qualifying offer. Or, yeah. It all depends on, you know, um, what his next contract is. Well, and luckily, I mean, yeah, luckily... Sorry, I'm, jumping, I'm jumping back and forth between theoretical and actual, so, <laughs> so sorry about that. Luckily, it wasn't an issue, because I mean, yeah. I think it's pretty certain we got a, well, know, yeah. a lot more in the qualifying offer, but... Yeah, yeah, and this year it would. Uh, it's it's hard to see what his next contract's going to be, essentially, though. But so I don't want right. 
Uh, I was I was kind of thinking him signing like a two year twenty million dollar reclamation or something, but I don't know. The market's weird. Then you look at Ian Kennedy's contract again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, the Ian Kennedy factor. Uh, speaking of weird, the Padres today traded Colin or traded uh, Luis Castillo, a prospect they just got back in the Andrew Kashner trade, back to the Marlins for Colin Ray. I'm not going to ask you to speculate on the reason for the trade. I, I don't know if we'll ever get unless you unless you know unless well, you know. Well, there, there is a buzz. The, the general feeling was that the Padres weren't initially trying to trade Colin Ray, uh, but the Marlins wanted him and they offered Castillo into the into the package. And so they went for it. But I but the the general buzz, so to speak, is that the Padres do like Ray and they're not all that upset to get him back, even if obviously there's a big injury problem now. Which is also confusing to us that have that watch Colin Ray pitch. Uh, but they, they, they kept the big part of the trade, so 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 it's still okay. Yeah, I mean, if you'd reported the, you know, the, what we're left with in the trade, the Kashner and, and Tehran Guerrero for for whatever caps and um, Josh yeah, Naylor. I mean, I mean it's the, Josh Naylor. It's I mean, Naylor I would have been ecstatic. Yeah. Um, Again, I, I thought we were going to get one prospect maybe in the Marlins like ten through twenty, you know, kind of like what we got for Fernando Roddy. So trust me, I'm thrilled with the return here. Yeah, and it, it would be kind of nice and poetic uh, if if Kashner was traded again for a first baseman that worked out. <laughs> Well, I was also saying today, and I don't wish this upon him, but if uh, Luis Castillo happens to hurt his elbow in the next week, I think that would be the most ironic thing I've ever seen happen to uh, a baseball team. Oh, that would be sad. Uh, don't, don't predict that. That's just mean. Yeah, that's, that's so mean, Mark. The pictures are so breakable. You can't, re- you can't even speculate about, about that on them. Oh, no. Uh, no, no pic- pictures are, are pretty much the most fragile entities in the universe. Which again is why Ian Kennedy got got his contract. Yeah, that's that's the nice thing about Ian Kennedy. He he's not that great, but he tends to actually be healthy. Yeah, he'll give you your two hundred ten innings or whatever. Yeah, that's a sanction. They're just they're just not good. They're not a good two hundred ten innings. That that that's on his resume that he exists. <laughs> so we actually released a, a, a podcast this morning. Um, we we basically did a run up up to the trade deadline. We discussed a Matt tra- uh, Kemp trade a little bit. And we both openly wondered if there was something that we were missing with it because it just seems too good to be true. Um, but from the Braves' perspective, if there actually is a DH next year, and maybe they have some, I don't, I don't think there is. I don't think there is either. But it, you know, if there was going to be, and they had some insider intel, then maybe you could justify Matt Kemp at ten. I don't know, but it's hard there, because he's. That's the problem with Matt Kemp is that he's even been a below-average DH. Uh, so even <laughs> even if you pretend that he isn't playing the field, he's still been below average, which is so we're not so we're not missing anything. We're, there's I I don't think so. Celebrate because yeah. the thing is, with, I mean, the, marketing for a new stadium that's that's what doesn't show up on the on the statistics, right? I mean, yeah, I don't know. I think that almost I think someone's got to call the FTC or something because that that advertising Matt Kemp for your new stadium is kind of almost fraudulent. <laughs> like like oh this this uh. This new Ford Escort will go 120 miles per hour. Like, no, it, it won't. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I get that. But then again, the Padres sold, you know, had a big boost in ticket sales last year because of Matt Kemp. So yeah, you never know. Yeah, the problem- and from what I understand, Braves fans were generally happy with the trade. Yeah, but you see, it's the happiness that will lead to even greater sadness later. Oh, we know that. We know that all too well. I was, uh, I got, uh, 
not so much this year uh, because people have come to the um, conclusion that Kemp's not that good. Mostly, there's still little pockets of very stubborn resistance to that. But I got a lot of hate mail last year because I absolutely panned. Uh, the trade for the Padres side. Everyone was mad about that. Matt Kemp was a great player in the second half. Uh, <laughs> the best part for us, or for me at least, is is all the fans that got that were really happy because they would say, oh, Grandall was such a clubhouse cancer. And then we go ahead and, and acquire a, a documented clubhouse cancer who openly admitted today that he is a clubhouse cancer and lazy. But if, if he could field, uh, I mean, I described him as his baseball instincts as as solid as a jar of mayonnaise made by Hawk Harrelson. That that's because when, when he when he had impressive physical tools when he was a younger player, he kind of got by on that uh, to a degree, and it kind of covered up a lot of his his flaws as a player. Uh, now that now he's aging, he's had injury problems, he's breaking down in his- some ways. Hips have turned to balsa wood. Yeah, it it becomes a lot more obvious that he 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 shouldn't be in the field. It's just embarrassing. Uh, some... Well, let me ask this: so the Braves have been brave. I mean, the Padres had never had the balls to to ask him to move away from right field, but the Braves are putting him in left field. Does that help his projection of value at all? I, I don't really think so. Uh, he he did play a little left field in in uh, L.A. And also, the, the corner outfield positions really aren't that different. He did play a little bit of left field. Uh, he whined about it. He was pretty terrible in left. The problem is he has just very few just instincts for defense. It's 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 pretty sad. Um, yes, the, his his routes are yeah. The player I just just awful. that he most reminds me of in the field was I don't know if you guys are old enough to remember him, but I don't know if you remember Kevin Reimer. He was, I do. Did you remember from the Kevin Rangers Reimer? and. When he when he was with the because he was you know in the Dante Bichette trade, but mm-hmm. when he was in the outfield, he he broke at the at the at the first sign a ball was hit the first the crack of the bat, but he he tended to run in the wrong direction as hard as he could, and, and Kemp's like that. There's just no instinct for the position, and and Kemp had better athletic tools than Kevin Reimer did, uh, <laughs> but he's, so, he's I can't see him playing good defense anywhere, and. The thing is, if the NL was really planning on doing the DH seriously, there, there are about five or six ownership groups that would flip out, yell in public if that became close. We saw some of that last winter when there were just the tiniest little hints of something happening. Uh, I think that – I do think of someday the NL will adopt the DH, but I do think that it, some teams will be dragged kicking and screaming. So with – it sounds like resounding uh, positivity with the Kemp trade and with all the other moves that were made by A.J. Preller this year. You can even go back to the Kimbrel trade in the preseason, bringing back uh, Margot, Guerra, Logan Allen, and Carlos Asuaje up through the trade deadline where it sounds like he made some successful moves. Has the public perception of A.J. Preller moved from uh, you know league dunce into the he-might-actually-be-good category? Like, what, what has this done for his stock? I think it's it's more the analysts who have kind of turned on him uh, because I don't know how much you paid attention to what I was writing last year, but I was very negative on the Padres from about the time of the Bud Black firing until uh, the, the Kimbrough trade uh, back in April. I, I felt that 
when the plans did not go the way they envisioned, that there was quite a bit of organizational paralysis, so to speak, where they really didn't accomplish much with their losing season. They just kind of hung around, essentially, and just played out the string and hoped for the better next year instead of really, you know, looking back at what went wrong, trying to do your best to take advantage of a poor season, because poor seasons do bring opportunities. But they have done a much better job this year. I've been almost entirely positive about the Padres in recent months. Uh, any negative Padre things lately, it's just really when people tell me that Matt Kemp is great because of his homers and RBIs, but that's that's a Matt Kemp thing, not a Padres-specific thing. Well, I mean, I think as we've learned this year, and I mean, Marver and I essentially led a movement to fire our, our team president, um, I don't think AJ Preller was calling the shots last year. Yeah, it's you know, always, I think that it's whole trade tricky. deadline paralysis, you know, he reports to a salesman. He, this, we have a salesman as the head of baseball operations on the organizational chart. And I think things have changed a lot this year once fans openly rebelled and it went not, it went, you know, started getting national coverage and certainly a lot of local coverage about wanting to fire our president. And since then things have been great. And I think like, the leash has been taken off AJ. He's been allowed to pursue a rebuilding and, and, you know, they've opened the checkbook for him. So, I mean, I think that's, that's good on the organization and it's certainly good on AJ. Yeah. I tend, I tend to more these days talk about front offices as a whole rather than the individual GM because organizational structure has changed over the last 20 years. Uh, Baseball front offices are more professionally run and that there are layers of responsibility. It isn't like there's one GM in most places that's kind of the, uh, you know, the medieval lord of the manor. Um, Billy Bean in Oakland, uh, even though he isn't technically the GM anymore, he still has that kind of power. But you don't quite see that anymore with, with most teams. Right. Even, even, some, we haven't... Yeah, even some teams that have had their GMs for a long time, like Brian Cashman the Yankees, even he has to fight with, with uh, some of the uppers uh, on team direction and things. So the, nobody right. has that kind of authority anymore. Um, but uh, And I think most hard. fans are in agreement that it probably, you know, given what we've heard and learned, that it probably wasn't AJ that wanted to trade for Matt Kemp in the first place. No, that it, it, was doesn't, direct- it doesn't appear that way because the person who thought Matt Kemp was good wouldn't have made that trade yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> or the day before. What day is it now? Or Tuesday night? Well, it's Tuesday for me. It's a different day for you, so we'll just say. Yeah, Saturday. Yeah, yeah. It, the, the, whole, the whole trade deadline, four or five days, kind of blends in together into one day. Uh, and so I never know what day anything happens. <laughs> well, I think we had some quick questions to close out on just some maybe some of our, our players. Um, I know we were curious on your projections for Will Myers because he's really all we have to cheer for right now. Um, and then I've got a little pet project of, uh, of Jabari Blash. Jabari, I, I love for some reason. I love the well. You have to love the name for one. It's such it's such a great name. It rolls. He's the taken the Padres fan base by storm. There are all kinds of Blash hashtags across Padres Twitter. I mean, uh, I mean, saying like John Smith that doesn't roll off your tongue. Certainly, saying no. Dan Zimborski doesn't roll off your tongue. There's nothing. There's nothing. Oh, don't tell yourself. No, short. it's it's not a beautiful name. It's it's it's. it's but I mean, it's Jabari it was, Blash. It sounds like it could be some kind of, you know, some kind of fashion designer. I'm wearing Jabari Blash. <laughs> Can you see my Jabari Blash dress? Oh, we haven't used that one yet. Uh, I mean, names like that are, are, are fun to say, uh, Jabari Blash. Uh, but anyway, first Will Myers. That's 
one of the the bright spots of the organization is Zips is now at the point where it's seeing him as a four win player going forward. Uh, if you offered him an extension now through his free agency years, Zips suggests hopefully you get him for less than this. But Zips suggests six years, one hundred and fourteen, which will cover the rest of the of his pre free agency years and three of his free agency years. That's what the projection says because. That's about what a four-win player is going to cost you, and of course, you know the significant discounts for the arbitration years. Uh, and and because it zips, that takes into account his previous in- injury yes, history. Yes, it does. It it actually has his average games played expected like one thirty-five, one thirty going forward. Because it it, it is a question with Myers. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can't really call him Cal Ripken of durability yet. What about his defensive metrics? I mean, anecdotally, and I always hate doing anecdotally, but he looks pretty good at first base. And I oh, know he, his, he his stats have been pretty good at first. Yeah. I think so part of the problem long, is. Oh, yeah. sorry. Sorry. How long does that take to you know to uh, firmly get into the projection system? Because I know that he had moved from the outfield where he wasn't particularly great. He was terrible. Base. Yeah, he was well, terrible. Well, part of the problem is he was kind of shoehorned in the center field, which he never should have been playing. So when you see him play center field, you're actually going to think he's terrible everywhere else. Uh, True. So, but, so I, I'm sure that the projections for him were based on some, you know, not just how he played in the outfield, but historical projections on how players change from position to yeah. position. And, and, I, and, I, and, and things like, I'm sorry, things like speed score are involved. Not quite the old speed score, but a variant because like fast players do tend to play outfield better than slower players, and in the uh, absence of really good defensive information, that has value. Uh, Zips saw Will Myers as about an average defensive first baseman, simply because some of his range issues that were a problem in the outfield wouldn't be as apparent in, in the infield. Uh, and he, he's been better than average this year. Uh, the, 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 the reality of defensive statistics is you, you need really probably three years before you're really sure about something. But he's done enough that we can be fairly confident that he's certainly not a bad first baseman and probably not an average first baseman. Uh, I'd probably be comfortable putting him somewhere between, say, one and ten runs above average. And that's a pretty big window, but it's unfortunate what you have to deal with. And he does look fine at first base. I don't think it's a problem. Uh, it, it's, it's nice that the Padres found a defensive position for a player that needed a different defensive position, but there's no DH. So, so, uh, sorry, just one more time. Six years and 115, did you say, or what? 114 million. 114. Okay. So one of the things on our wish list, or at least on my wish list on Twitter that, uh, got some run yesterday by Padres fans was the idea of maybe front loading a contract to Will Myers, because you have like so little on the payroll the next few years. And, Based on their international spending this year, like you said, there are a limited number of ways they can now spend the money. So if they could front load some of that contract to Myers in 2017, 2018, maybe they would even have an opportunity to uh, have an even better squad in 2019, 2020 because of, you know, they would have Will Myers signed and it would be for less than he would have ordinarily got on an extension. Does that change the terms at all? Do you... The overall money, does it have to go up because you're paying him more to begin with? Or how, how does that end up changing the equation there? I, um, I, I'm not really a fan of that for, for a few reasons. One, you have inflation. I'd much rather pay somebody $25 million in 10 years than pay them $25 million tomorrow. Now, assuming I could pay someone $25 million, which I can't. 
uh, but it's just for the example. And also, you had the real opportunity cost of money. Uh, money that they spend now is money they can't use in, in all this time. Uh, and really, if you think about it, if, if you want to front load a contract, say you're going to pay them $25 million this year in a front load contract instead of 15. Obviously, that's higher than it's going to be, but it's just for the example. Even if you say, oh, we want to save that money for later, you can just take that $10 million and you could invest it. You could, you could stick it in a bond or, or a certificate of deposit or something random like that, and you could get more money than that than, than you're gaining here. I don't think that front-loading contract is really a good idea uh, as long as your team isn't budgeting in a really awkward way because teams shouldn't be baseline budgeting in baseball. Teams should be adjusting they should be considering players investments and changing that investment based on the the facts on the ground uh so i i prefer the more traditional backloaded contract because i think it works better no that makes sense and then i'll quickly follow up i guess we can close on this Blash. Oh yeah, we. I just talk. I just said his name many times. We didn't actually talk about Blash. <laughs> it happens to me all the time. I just sit at home saying Blash. Blash. Uh, uh, Zip Zip sees Jabari Blash as, as pretty much a league average player that could probably hit thirty home runs. Uh, it, it does have him being a pretty good home run hitter uh, long term. Uh, there, there. It still has questions about his defense, which I guess everybody does. Um, but a league average player who's under team control for a while, that's something the Padres need. I'll take that. Yeah. That's actually even more – I love Blash. Nothing is wrong with a league average player. Yeah, yes, and, and, especially when you're the Padres. I, I guess my, my thing with them is that obviously he started his career out really poorly here, having struck out so much to begin. Um, and, you know, my worry is that the Padres will get caught up in that and, and, you know, cut off his playing time and we'll never get to see him. But I, I imagine there's something to it, though, right? I, I, I can imagine there being a such thing as a quadruple-A player where they can hit certain speeds and then you get to the major league level and you can't hit it. Uh, my question is really, how long, if if Jabari Blash, coming up right now again, continues to struggle and strike out at a really high rate and you don't see the power, how long should they give him before they say, you know, enough is enough? Let's I think they should give him a wide leash simply because the Padres are in the throwing in the things at the wall and seeing what sticks. Him striking out now, it doesn't affect the team at all. What The question of how he will do is more important to answer than is he good now. Uh, so I think the Padres should have a long leash with him um, because really if you're not going to have a long leash with him, then the other question you have to ask is the player we were playing place him with does that tell us as much about the future as as playing jabari jack now i can't say it as playing jabari blash does that well, tell us hard. he's a he's a clothing designer it's really hard to say his name purposely yeah I, I can say it better when i say jabari blash uh but when i say it normally it's hard because i don't have jabari <laughs> blash but but if the padres give up on him they have to be giving up on him for something that's even even better idea i'm not sure that necessarily that they would have that but you there is a limit on, on how long you can stick with a guy. Uh, maybe he'll end up in Japan. Who knows? He is the type that would do very well in Japan, I think. So, I'll, so, miss, so him. I'll miss him a lot. Yeah, so yeah. basically when we when we uh, write our petition to have the Padres continuously play Jabari Blash for the rest of the season, you will sign that unequivocally. Well, no, I have to be impartial. But you need, you need a good name, like... 
Like I don't know. To... I heard you were pretty biased. <laughs> well, I'm equally biased towards everybody. <laughs> Someone once wrote that I hate everything equally, and I'm a, I'm a kind of that. Uh, Actually, that's how I wanted to close. How do you deal with dickheads on Twitter all day? Just it's just it's some... just crush, trying to crush you. It's something that you have to get used to over a while. Uh, it's being a writer is not something that you should do if you have a thin skin. Uh, because it, 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 it's tough. When, when I first got into writing, it, it, it was a little tough at times. I remember when I got my first uh, death threat. My first thing was that I was to be upset about it. And, but then I thought, you know, this guy is not likely to kill me. I asked a, a cop friend and he said, someone who's going to kill you probably isn't going to email you first. I'm like, okay, <laughs> that sounds reasonable. So the first guy, the death threat or a death wish, he emailed me saying, I hope your house burns down with you in it. That, that was with the email. No reason why. So at this point, I had gotten used to it. So I wrote back to him and asked him, are you, are you going to burn down my house? Or do you just hope for an unlikely event in which my house burns down? Because, you know, I wanted to be clear if it was a death threat or a death wish. I never got a response to that. Uh, I kind of, that kind of hit me that, that these guys, they just are blowing off steam, essentially. Uh, I'm not someone who's doing reporting in, in war-torn Syria or in the protests in Venezuela. I'm a cushy sports writer working at home, so a little bit. Um, and, you know, I get a lot of, I get a lot of hate. I, I try to have some fun with it. Uh, sometimes people get too much, and, you know, that I do have to lock them and just ignore them. But if I can get some entertainment out of people being annoyed with me, I mean, it's, I might as well. The, the other alternatives to be upset about it, so. Please tell me your first death threat was over something really unimportant. I don't even know like, what like your projection of, like, Marco Scudero. Or... <laughs> oh, no. The, the projection systems loved Scudero as a prospect. Uh, he, he had really great minor league translations. And he was actually, people who hated the stat guys at the time, actually would bring up Scudero as an example of a player who would never make it in the majors because the stat has never played baseball ever. <laughs> and in the end, he actually turned out to be just fine. Uh, I mean, he, he stayed in the, he was in the majors until 37 when he got injured. Um, but, uh, wait, how about we get on Scooter? Oh, no. The, 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 I was the trying to threat. think of someone really obscure, and I really blew it. <laughs> but the death threat, that's how we got the Scooter, a death threat. Uh, I, he, the guy didn't tell me what it was for. He just, he just threatened me. So maybe it wasn't even a baseball thing. I mean, I don't think it was one of my friends because they don't – they might dislike me, but they don't usually want to kill me. But Yeah, just yeah. they want you to be horribly maimed. Yeah, I mean, that's that's reasonable. Yeah. Marvin, maybe someday we can be important enough to get death threats. Well, maybe it was a pun. Like maybe it was maybe it was your Mike Fires uh, projection or something like that. This was this was like 1998. So, so Marvin, that was dreadful. Mike <laughs> Fires would have been younger. What is it? That's oh my god, that was 18 years ago. So, anyways, I actually have one last question, and I did not tell Padres Jagoff I was going to ask this. Um, Padres so Jagoff it's a, made so it's, his, a, it's a forbidden question. It's not a forbidden question, but Padres Jagoff gained his popularity uh, by using Microsoft Paint. He would draw childish dongs on opposing players or Padres players, and he had a small blog that uh, I thought was very funny. And so we met up, and we now we have this website for intelligence. You also used to make, and uh, I'm not sure if you currently I still, still do. Make them. You still make them. All I right, still make, I still so, make Microsoft Paints. 
uh, I, I'm just wondering what what is your favorite one you've ever made? Because Potter's Jagoff actually ended up turning these into baseball cards that he gave out as collectibles, which are wonderful. And I have my Tim Lincecum one right next to me, as I'm and I'm sure you can guess what that one's about. Um, my, my favorite one <laughs> is the one where I had Dayton Moore. Dayton Moore is a Christmas Carol, and I actually posted a couple days ago, so if you're on my Twitter, you can probably click through my images. I posted a lot of strange images and memes the last couple days, but I'm sure you can find it. It's probably not more than a couple pages back. Uh, well, it was Dayton Moore's A Christmas Carol, and it shows like a little a little tableau as Dayton Moore is first visited by the, the ghost of Christmas past as she shows him um, the, the signing of, of Jeremy Guthrie. Uh, and and she's frowning, and then it goes to the Christmas present. It shows him with the goes to Christmas present, you know, with the robes and the and the wine and stuff. And he's he's aghast because he sees the Jason Vargas signing, but Dayton Moore's getting happier. And then in the third tableau, uh, it's the ghost of Christmas future, and Dayton Moore is signing Edison Volquez, uh, Michael Young, and Willie Bloomquist. And he's he's there's confetti coming from the top, and the ghost of Christmas future is face palming, or skull face face arm. Whatever the term is, whatever. Yeah, I don't know because you don't really have a palm when you're a skeleton. I don't know. Face I'm gonna go ahead and say you're a lot better artist than me on MS Paint. <laughs> some of them, some of them are pretty crude. I, there's a lot of there's been a lot of Dayton Moore ones. I don't know why, <laughs> but it's just fun to draw Dayton Moore and. And there's been so many fun signings and trades, you know, uh, Unieski Betancourt and Nephi Perez and, and, and so Yo on. Yo Mesh. Yeah. And Betancourt twice. <laughs> Just so you know, the Padres front office doesn't smile on MS Paint artwork. That's how you get blacklisted by the team <laughs> for being bad for the brand. Uh, I Luckily, I am a member of the Baseball Writers Association, so they have to put up with me unless I break <laughs> rules. I'll f- maybe we can feed some of my artwork through you then. You can be a distributor. Hey, mine is mean enough as it is usually. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I have the one with Ruben Amaro and Jeopardy, and the question and the uh, the answer was name a modern piece of analysis. Just name one, uh, and and it just has Amaro with a blank stare. <laughs> oh, what is OBP? I'm not. That's not my answer. I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I like Microsoft Paint, uh, and people people are always like, "You do a good job with that pseudo childlike drawing style." And I'm just thinking, "No, that's actually how I draw. I, yeah. I draw essentially." Like I get that too, and I can't. I'm like, "That's that's the best I can do." Yeah, it's like, no man, this, you know how much effort this takes. <laughs> my, my art you know how hard it is to draw with a mouse. It is, and I and I don't. I don't cheat and, and, and go to like a tablet or anything. I, I, I sit there with my with my uh my, my mouse and my hand and I slowly go over it. The uh, worst is when you were trying to well, very long line and you run out of space and you have to like pick up the mouse and move it back. I never was able to conquer that part of MS Paint. Well luckily I have, I have a pretty high DPI for for gaming, so I, I can actually get across the screen pretty easy. Yeah, I'm looking at the detail of your of your pictures. I will give you a compliment in that you have opted in most of your uh, most of your artwork to not use the the text function. No, yeah, no, I write. You freehand your text, which is what real artists do. And you know what the horrible thing is? That's kind of my handwriting, <laughs> because 
who, who I don't write things anymore. I type things. <laughs> I don't write things. When I write a note now, that is what my handwriting looks like. Like like I'm a five year old holding a crown in my fist. <laughs> Uh, but hopefully we won't be judged someday on our handwriting, despite what our second grade teachers told us. <laughs> All right. Well, we are very grateful you came on the podcast. I know we held you here a little bit longer than we uh, originally intended, um, but we got to talk about Microsoft Paint, who is our unofficial sponsor here on the Intelligence Podcast. Uh, so thank you very much. And if people want to read your stuff, where where should they go? What do you recommend? Well, you can find my work at ESPN.com. I do weekly chats and projections are housed over at Fangrass. And you can find me at D-S-Z-Y-M-B-O-R-S-K-I on Twitter. If you're in Canada, that's D-S-Z-Y because you call it Z for some reason. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. And uh, until next time, Padres fans, go Padres. Go Padres. <laughs>